Good morning. How many of you were excited to see the snow? Come on, somebody. It's, it's like in January now, right? So it's a new year, new snow. Those of you that weren't excited, just leave your hands down. It's okay. I'm just, I'm just kidding. But uh, this morning, I have to thank someone before I, I move into the passage uh, we're going to be in. And I have to thank Neil Franz for preaching last week. Um, that was pretty awesome for him to do that. It was uh, not last minute, but it was pretty last minute. But he also had a very exciting New Year's Eve because now he's a grandpa. So that's exciting for Neil. Yeah, give him a hand. Because now I get to call him grandpa every time I refer to him on a Sunday morning. So he's looking, he won't even look up at me now, see? Yeah, I know, I always make jokes. So we are going to be on an adventure this year. Those of you that like an adventure, this whole year is going to be an adventure. The gospel story. It's the story arc of the entire Bible. And today we're in the first week. What are first weeks for when you're going through something? You get to know all the details leading up to that. So if you have our app, you can click the link at the top of the feed, and you can find our version event. Or if you walked in this morning and you got a paper bulletin, the notes are in there. So the reason we are starting where we're starting, which is in Luke chapter 24, which is not the beginning of the Bible, is because this is Jesus walking on the road to Emmaus with a couple disciples. Because in this passage, Jesus says that all of Scripture speaks of him. And that's the purpose of our series this entire year. We're going to be looking at the structure of the entire Bible, the story arc that speaks of the good news of Jesus Christ. And so the same story arc that that woke us up to our plight and gave us hope, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, the same story arc that when I was 17 and depressed woke me up from that and gave me hope. The same story arc that's changed the world for eternity. The same story arc that found its fulfillment in Jesus. If you were to simplify the story of the whole Bible, and I know, that's really hard. 66 books, um, the shortest book being what? What do you guys think the shortest book is? And then the longest book. I know what the longest one is easily, and then the shortest one's a little tricky. If you take by word, it's different than what it is by verse. But there's short books, there's long books, but you have four sections to the Bible. Creation, fall, restoration, or redemption, and restoration. Those are the four steps, you might say. God creates, man falls, Jesus redeems, and God restores. So one year to cover the biblical story arc. Now, I just said this, but 66 books. So how are we in 52 weeks going to cover 66 books? We're not going to hit every book. So if you're looking... For me to do a book of the Bible every week, a whole book, that's not going to be the way we do this. But we will be working through mostly chronologically. I'm ruining that today, okay, because we're going to be in Luke rather than in Genesis chapter 1, which we will start next week. We're dividing it into sections of history. It's going to be the cliff notes of the Bible. If you want to know the whole Bible, you read the whole Bible. But if you're going to get the cliff notes, that's what we're doing this year. The beginning. That's one section. The beginning is where it all starts. Where did it all start? Then there's the rise and fall. It's both of humanity and of the nation of Israel. And then we have the prophets. The prophets spoke truth in exile. They were kind of like artists are 
They're not popular till they're dead. Because basically, like, prophets were, like, saying things, and no one wanted to listen, so they just left. Like, people did not care for the prophets. And then you have the redemption of humanity in Jesus Christ. And then you have the church being the hope of the world. So really, that's the dividing the divisions we're going to be looking at this year. And as we start this week, I want you to consider something. Whether you're watching online because there was snow or someone's sick or something like that, or you're here in person, I want you to consider finding one place to put all your notes for this entire year. So if you miss a week, watch it later, but take an entire year worth of notes, maybe a journal. And so as we look through the whole of Scripture and how it points to the good news of Jesus Christ, you can look back on that journal and realize what the whole story looks like. So, all that said, it's, it's never a good sermon unless you start with a Martin Luther quote. No, that's not, I'm kidding. But Martin Luther had some guidelines as we read Scripture this year. And as we read Scripture this year, I think it will be helpful as we walk through the Gospel story. These are simple guidelines, and they are things that are somewhat common sense. But I'm, I want to highlight what he said, because, again, he was speaking in the 16th century, so it was a little bit different than how we speak now. This is what he said. He said, we should humbly go to God and ask for him to enlighten us by grace. That's the first thing. So when we, when we go to read the Bible, we say, God, please enlighten me to what this is saying so that I can follow you. That's the first thing. Then the second thing was to bring a mind free from all the affections that we previously entertained or encouraged. What that means is, where is your devotion? What are you spending your most time on? So free yourself from these other things so you can spend time with the Lord. Um, it, it might be as simple as setting aside time to be in the Word. And then as we study, we should diligently seek the occasion. So what, what, what is going on? The time, the person, and the circumstances of each book. So who wrote the book? What, what does it look like in that book? What, what, what is going on in the culture, in the history? And then we should examine not just the chapters, and even now we really, how many times do you see one verse and you're like, oh, I, I love that verse, but then you don't necessarily look at the chapter. And so he says, look at the chapters, but the books as a whole, and the whole of Scripture, which is what we're going to do this year. And so to that, he adds, we should look at the context to what precedes and follows the passage we're reading. Have you ever noticed that, that when people, when kids fight, the second kid, the one that retaliates, always gets in trouble. I mean, that was the way with me. My brother was like picking at me. He'd poke at me, and then I'd go, bop! And then my mom would see the whop, you know? Like, it just happens. That's how it works. And so if we don't know the context, we are missing that first little poke thing, the first person that's doing something. So we need to make sure that when something is not clear, we don't go beyond the obvious meaning. So, okay, so this person's a, a witness and this person's a witness. When you look at the Gospels, they parallel each other from different eyewitness accounts. So as we look at the whole of Scripture this year, we need to be driven by those guidelines. And after service, we actually have a, a, both a Bible reading plan and also a generosity devotional to give you so that you can get into God's Word this year. So before we get in the passage, let's pray. I usually pray at the beginning. I'm going to pray right now. And then we're going to get into Luke chapter 24. 
Heavenly Father, we come before you and we know that the, the, the good news of Jesus Christ is about you. It's not about us. It's not, it's not about church leaders. It's not about church members. It's not about uh, the community. It's about you and the, the outgrowth of that or what flows out of that is love and kindness and care and concern for others. That same love that we, we have received from you through your son, Jesus Christ. God, we just thank you that we have your word and that we have the, the whole of the gospel story. Not just part of it, but we have everything we need to live like you and, and to love like you love us. We say all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's start reading in Luke chapter 24, verse 13. We are on the road to Emmaus. To give you the context here. And this is after Jesus has been crucified, but before anyone has seen him after that. Before he was seen in his resurrected body. So starting in verse 13... It says, that very day, two of them, these are disciples, were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all the things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. One of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? I'm going to pause there for a second. We find ourselves here on this road with some travelers leaving Jerusalem, heading towards Emmaus after the Jewish week of Passover, which honestly was probably the most... Uh, looked forward to time of the year for a Jew. It was this, this crazy amount of events in one week. And they were talking about these events. But this Passover was different. There was the trial and the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. The hope that they had clearly was decimated on the rocks of despair. Because verse 15 is where things get interesting. Because there's dramatic irony. Any of you love English? Dramatic irony is very, it's, it's kind of actually what draws you in in a passage or when you're reading a book, because the reader, us, knows more about what's going on than the people in the scene. We know more about what's going to happen, right? Any of you already cheat and read further? Come on, let's be honest. We know what's going to happen, so there's this irony. We are in on a secret. Jesus is with them, and they don't know it yet. We know. Jesus himself actually in physical form went with them and God kept people from realizing that it's him. This is not the only time this happens though. With Jesus, right after his resurrection, there's a woman in John chapter 20, verse 14. It says there, having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she didn't know that it was Jesus. So, so clearly God was not always revealing himself right away. 
Here's the, the funny part of that. The very next verse, that woman thought Jesus was a gardener. Okay? I mean, you go from, here's the son of God to a gardener. That's what she thought he was. God kept people from knowing how he was working through Jesus for the entire period of the Old Testament. There's another few hours that pass in the passage. But we know what's going on in this moment in Scripture more than the people involved. So they, in a few hours, they'll know, right? They'll know in a few hours if you looked ahead. There's tension and suspense about what is happening. We are in on a secret. And how the story ends, we haven't lived it yet. So God needs to reveal the gospel story to us, the good news of Jesus Christ. We can't just stumble upon it. So the first thing Jesus does with them, he pretends that he doesn't know what's going on. You ever do that? You ever stick your foot in your mouth? You know, I was at a, I've been at a, a funeral and a wedding, and I, at different times I've sat next to people that were really, like, famous or rich, and I had no idea. And I just treat them like normal people, and then I find out later that they're rich, and I wanted to treat them differently. You ever do that? Come on, let's be honest. Like a celebrity or something? This happened to me twice. And both times, everyone else was in on the secret, and they thought it was hilarious. Like, why are you talking? Why are you so chatty with this person? Like, why would you do that? Jesus doesn't, he pretends that they doesn't, nothing's going on. He doesn't know what's going on. Yet, he lived it, right? We know that. We know that. So he wants to hear what they are thinking. And Jesus helps them discover him. Just as we will this year, as we walk through the Bible. We probably won't get all of it if he shared it all at once, right? You ever get, like, a lot of information really quickly and you forget details and it's really hard? We won't get all of it this year either. Jesus is not just lecturing or teaching truth, he's living it. And so he meets them on the road of life with hope. So in verse 18, there's a name mentioned here as an eyewitness to what's happening. If you're, if you're scientific, you want to know that there was an eyewitness to what happens. And this Cleopas, is, he's, he's almost accusatory and he asked Jesus a very genuine question. I don't fault him because he doesn't know what we know. You might read that and think, why is he so arrogant to say this? But he doesn't know what we know. And so he says, are you the only visitor? Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem? You notice that? Are you the only, like, are you the only person that doesn't know this? You ever have someone tell you that? Like, are you the only one that doesn't get it? Like, like, everyone laugh at a joke and you have no idea what's going on. That's, that's what's going on here. Are you, like, the only person? And sometimes, sometimes we can be angry. I don't think necessarily he was angry. I think he was just like, what are you, how do you miss this? But Jesus knows God's plan. He could have been very angry at that question, or hurt, but he's patient and calm in his response. And verse 18 makes it more important than ever that we know something. This is the one fact that we need to know for life. All of scripture points to Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Even the restoration, the new heavens and new earth. All of scripture points to Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. So you might be thinking like I am thinking. What is Jesus going to say to that? What is Jesus going to say to that? And he does something that many of us find very annoying. He answers a question with a question. You ever do that with your spouse? Yeah, don't try it. It's not fun. Do it with your kids. They really love that. Do it with a family member. 
that makes them even more agitated. Any, any situation where we answer a question with a question, it kind of aggravates people. But in this case, it doesn't. Listen to what it says, starting in verse 19. And he said to them, this is Jesus, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. And how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. And yes, besides this, it is now on the third day since these all, all these things have happened. Moreover, some of the women in our, of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they'd even seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those that were with us went to the tomb and found it as the woman had said, but, they, but him they did not see. So Jesus asked, what things? It's a pretty casual question. You know, he's getting accused of, are you the only person that didn't know this? Uh, are you the one out, out of the joke here? You, uh, who knows? He says, what things? He wants to hear their hearts. And Cleopas can't help but tell Jesus what happened. Very detailed. But they still don't know it's him. They still do not know it's him. What things happened? They think Jesus is a prophet from God. He is mighty before God and man. They believed in the power of God, was on, that it was on Jesus, and the religious leaders and rulers killed him. We need to realize here, though, how this is said. They're putting the primary blame for the death of Jesus on the Jews. It's very clear. They hope that he is the king, the savior, the Messiah, but now they don't think he is. It's three days later. All it took was three days to lose hope. Three days. Which actually can be a very long time or short, depending on how, what your perspective is. But one thing I can learn from the three days is when things seem darkest, don't give up hope. We think our attention spans are short, but they, in three days, basically just gave up. They gave up. Their hope was in the here and now of present circumstances. And that's why they say, but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. We have to remember that all of scripture points to Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. They even had the information they needed. They had the information. All of scripture points to Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. They had everything they needed, and yet they still didn't believe. And Cleopas and this group, they had to see it. And they even went to the tomb, they still didn't believe. Sometimes we don't believe what others say about the power of God. We want to see it ourselves. So verse 24. Some of those who were with us, it says, went to the tomb and found it as the woman had said. But him they did not see. So they went. Was he alive? I don't, was he alive? But they, they still didn't believe it yet. Twice they'd seen evidence that Jesus is resurrected and they still lost hope. But Jesus caught their attention, but they still, still had no hope. At this point, let's take a back step. Let's go back to being the reader. There's some thick irony here. They just outlined exactly what happened to the person right across from them, and the person right across from them, they don't know it's them. Jesus is, is the primary witness in all of this. He experienced it. And he, he, they witnesses, they had witnessed the most awesome event of all of history, and yet they were still depressed. It is possible 
hear this, if it is possible to look at the source of all joy and not see Jesus Christ, we can look at all kinds of things in our life and not see Jesus Christ. Let's look at what Jesus says back to them. Verse 25. Verse 25 through 35. Starting in verse 25, he said to them, and this is where he gets really, I don't know, he kind of puts it back in their face. He says to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scripture, the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going, and he acted if they were, as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he broke bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave it to them. Pause. They still don't know it's him. They still don't know how foolish they look. He said they're foolish. He outlines all of the scriptures and all the prophecies about himself, and they still don't know it's him. And we get to verse 31. They break bread. They have a meal together. And then it says, and their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while we talked, while he talked to us on the road, when he opened, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose on that same hour. They didn't wait. They rose on the same hour and returned to Jerusalem. They found the eleven, those that were with him, gathered together, saying, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. They, they, and they Then they told what happened on the road and how he was known to them by the breaking of bread. A lot happens here. A lot happens here. Verse 25 is almost shocking. It's a response to those that know the truth but don't believe. He calls them foolish and slow of heart. And as we know, there's still irony in this because they don't know who he is. Honestly, You come up to me, call me foolish and slow of heart. I'm walking the other direction. But something he did right after that drew them in so much that they wanted to spend more and more time with him, and they still didn't know he was Jesus. He corrects them because they've all failed to understand that the Old Testament speaks of Jesus, speaks of the Savior, and speaks that he would suffer. Scholars for centuries have said Even though we might think of the Old Testament as having a suffering Savior, because again, we're the reader and we can read back into that and see those events, there is no thoughts of a suffering Savior to pre-Christian Jews. Like before the first century, there was no idea that there would ever be a suffering Savior. Including in the first century, no writings associate the Savior and the Messiah with suffering. Nobody. And some of you may be asking, as you look at Old Testament prophecy and prophecy and know your your bible is what about isaiah 53 it talks about the suffering servant that makes total sense right well that passage specifically does not reference anyone but the servant of the lord not as messiah and savior and so the jews would have never caught that in fact jews now that's very like right in their face so they don't actually read it in the synagogue verse 27 that verse right there is the one 
that is very clear that the entire Old Testament points to Jesus. We can know a lot about the Bible and still not know Jesus. You know, I, w- I went to school, I went to a seminary, and while I was in seminary, I have friends that were in seminary with me that now are driving a truck, or they're, they're uh, a professor at a, a major school at like Notre Dame or, or something like that, and they don't know Jesus. They really don't know Jesus. They, they're, they're subject experts. They know a lot, but they do not know Jesus. Jesus' claim right here will be the foundation of our entire year. The whole entire Old Testament is about him. The entire Bible is about Jesus. And Jesus walked them through the scriptures here. I wish we had what he said. I wish right now like, that I could just read to you everything he said to them because it was pretty miraculous. He just called them fools and then he drops this like, prophecy bomb on them. And now all of a sudden they want to be his best friend. There was something that he said that was so compelling that they didn't care that he called them foolish, which would have been a huge insult. So it says, and beginning with Moses, that's the first five books of the Bible, and the prophets, that would have been the rest of the Old Testament, as they would have said. And he interpreted interpreted to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Wow. People for centuries have tried to find every single prophecy about Jesus. And yet, he's just telling them right there. This is, this, this, the way it's said is really shorthand for the entire Old Testament scriptures. Every part of the Old Testament points to and prepares us for the King, the Savior, the Messiah that is coming in Jesus. And came in Jesus. Jesus' death and resurrection is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. It's the hope that we never had before that. And much like the dramatic irony of this passage, where the reader knows more than the people in it, the Old Testament is full of clues. Have you ever felt like you wanted to be Nancy Drew or the Hardy Boys? I mean, I hope that most of us read that when we were young children. But it's that moment where you find the clues, which, which we read the Old Testament like this. Like, aha, it makes sense now. I get it. I get it. I see why they didn't see it, but, but I get it now. The aha moment. It's like a good mystery. We can take events that seem random and see the pattern of God's plan culminating in Jesus. And to the people of the time, it really wasn't that obvious, clearly. We can't fully understand the end of the story without the beginning. And we can't understand the beginning without the ending. Have you ever noticed that? When you read a book, you kind of think back and you go, oh, I missed that clue. I miss that. Or even in a movie, that moment where all of a sudden the plot makes sense. It's like, a, it's like a battle. If you're watching a movie with family, do you ever watch a movie and you're like, there's the person that's like, I know this is what's going to happen. Do you know what I'm talking about? There's the, always that person. Some of you are smirking because you know. There's certain people you don't want to watch a movie with for that one reason. Well, here's the Bible. And there's those aha moments, but you want to share those aha moments. You don't want to just be like, I know that it's in the candlestick. You know, like if you're playing Clue, it's like, oh, it's in the, in the wardrobe with the candlestick, whatever. It's those moments that you want to share with others. That is why we're going from Genesis to Revelation this year. That is why the people at the time Jesus opened the scriptures, God's word, it spoke truth to them. Because they didn't understand it yet. He dropped all the clues. 
He said, okay, these were the clues that I laid out for you. And I wish I was there. And they respond as one does when God moves your heart. When God moves your heart, and when you know God and the good news, they wanted more, but they still didn't know it was Jesus. He had captured their attention and focus. So Jesus responds to their requests and their desire to be with him. In verse 31 it says, And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. Wow, that's the great reveal. That's the plot thickens. That's the moment that everything happens. He had the patience to reveal himself, and he was actually what they were looking for. So right after that, it says that their hearts burned when Jesus opened the scriptures for them. In this one moment, God said, kept to all the promises in the Old Testament. God has to open your eyes to who Jesus is. He has to open your eyes. You can't open your own eyes. It just won't happen. You can recognize him when your eyes are opened. Verse 32 is a reflection of how Jesus works behind the scenes. This burning in their hearts, it says, did not our hearts burn within us when he talked to us on the road while he opened to us the scriptures? That's what made them burn, was the fact that, that, that they felt this warmness about the prophecy and the things that were filled in Jesus. You can't know Jesus if you don't open the Bible. You can't know Jesus if you don't open the Bible. If you don't know, you can't believe. When you believe and your eyes are open, it causes you to do some crazy things. And that's what they do. They're crazy. It says, and the very next hour, they left. Did you notice they stopped because it was dark? And they went to eat? And it was the end of the day? And then they returned to Jerusalem. They stopped and they said, we need to go again. You know, there's a couple of things that we don't think about because it doesn't happen in our culture. One is, traveling at night was incredibly dangerous. There was a few things that could happen. One, there was bandits. That sounds weird to say bandits in Bible times, but there was thieves. And if you didn't travel in a large group at night, you would get robbed. It's just a fact. It happened. It happened a lot. They were heading to Jerusalem. There were more thieves after Passover than there was at other times because people knew that's when you would be carrying your valuables. So just throwing that out there. So instead, they don't care about that. They just go. They don't even care what, what dangerous things they're walking through. And they find the disciples and they say, the Lord has risen indeed. He has appeared to Simon. That's not the only time Jesus appears. And I want you to know that this morning. Jesus appeared many to many more people 1 Corinthians 15, 6 through 7 says, Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. So let me take a back step. If you were alive when this was written, which we're not, unless you're just super old, it just never happened, they literally say, some of the witnesses are alive, go see them, go talk to them. Go talk to them. How many of us have had a relative that was in a foreign war? Anybody? You have a, someone that was in a foreign war? You ever sit down with them and talk to them about their experience? Some people don't want to talk about it. But just think about this. They experienced something that you will never experience in the way they did. And so this is the opportunity. They are still alive. 
It says, do your own investigation. This is for real. He walked with them. He talked with them. He ate with them. He appeared to them. And now you can't keep quiet. So once you know and believe, they had to share right away. It took three times of seeing proof for them to believe Jesus was resurrected. Three times. And the question I really have for myself is how many times is it going to take me to really believe that he was resurrected? When you look at the Old Testament, all of Scripture points to Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. All of it. And we can still miss it. So as the new year starts, this fresh start is an opportunity to know and love the Word of God more than ever before. This resolve, not resolution, it's a resolve. (laughs) Resolve begins by applying the message of today's passage. The gospel story is not about us. It's not about us. It's about the glory of God. God did something in Jesus that we couldn't do. The gospel story reminds us that we are not the center of the story. Many of us want to be the center of the story. Um, a lot of us want to do that. I, I don't mind having a great conversation with someone, but we're not the center of this story. We're not the center of God's story. It's for God's glory that Jesus died, was buried, and resurrected. It's for God's glory that all of Scripture speaks of Jesus Christ. It's for God's glory that Jesus redeems humanity. And it's for God's glory that we can look forward to restoration in a new heavens and a new earth. And when we realize this important truth, that we're not the center of the story, we are positioning ourselves to better serve God this year. That is what we're doing. When we realize we're not the center of the story, that Jesus is the center of the story, that all of scripture speaks of him, we position ourselves to better serve God this year. I'm going to I'm going to pray. And we are actually actually Yeah, I'm going to pray and we're going to we're going to have communion this morning. One of the best parts of communion with a new year is this is a time to be fresh and have a new start. Every year starts with its different difficulties and and encouragements and strengths and this year could be your year to one read through the bible could be your year to go through the whole gospel story see those important moments in scripture where god spoke of jesus centuries before he was here and look forward to him coming again so let me pray and then we're we're going to pass out communion heavenly father we come before you And we know that when we go to the Bible, sometimes we don't understand it. We don't see things, and so we need to pray that you would enlighten us to what it says. Give us a heart to study it and understand the the context, the people, everything that's going on, because then, and only then can we see that all of Scripture speaks of Jesus and his death, his burial, and his resurrection. So as we, we this morning have communion, God, please help us 
to see ways that you are working in our lives, ways that we can be part of your story, the story of all history, the good news that came through Jesus Christ. We all say all this in Jesus' name, amen.